insightful podcasts by informative hosts. Insights into Things, a podcast network. Welcome to Insights into Entertainment, a podcast series taking a deeper look into entertainment and media. Your hosts, Joseph and Michelle Whalen, a husband and wife team of pop culture fanatics, are exploring all things from music and movies to television and fandom. Welcome to Insights and Entertainment. This is episode 112. Star Wars Return of George Lucas. I'm your host, Joseph Whalen, and my cosmopolitan and sophisticated co host, Michelle Whalen. Where's my drink? <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing today, dear? I'm doing fantastic. Long, short week? Oh my God. I hate them. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> Still got the same amount of work you got to get done in one less day. Yeah, exactly. So. Friday Eve. We're, yep. we're getting there. There we're you go. We're getting there. So in today's episode, <clears throat> in our Disney Detective, we're going to talk about Disney World having a massive sinkhole where all my money goes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Disney World opts out for a 50th anniversary celebration with zero nostalgia. Mm-hmm. That should be interesting. Yeah. Then in our Tales from the Edge of the Galaxy Fox Memo Surface from 1976, and could George Lucas be returning to Star Wars? Dun, dun, dun. In our entertainment <laughs> news, Taika Waititi and Tessa Thompson wind up in some hot water, and good night, my captain. Then we'll finish up with our insightful picks of the week, but before we do that, I would invite folks to subscribe to the podcast. You can get audio versions of the podcast listed listed as Insights into Entertainment. You can also get video versions of all the network's podcasts listed as Insights into Things. Both are listed on Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, Pandora, etc., etc. I would also invite folks to contact us, give us your feedback, tell us how we're doing. You can email us at comments at insightsintothings.com. On Twitter, we are at insights underscore things. You can get us on Facebook at facebook.com slash insights into things podcast. We are on Instagram at instagram.com slash insights into things, or you can get links to all those on our website at www.insightsintothings.com. But no Ginsu knives. No Ginsu knives. Not this week. No Ginsu knives. Maybe next time. You never know. Are we ready? Sure. So before we get started. Right. I was right. I was wondering. We, I didn't put it in the show notes. I, I was waiting. <laughs> I was going to be like, right. So why don't you <laughs> why don't you introduce what we're about to show? So this was something that we had talked about a couple of weeks ago that was going to be returning, um, and that is the New Jersey Renaissance Fair uh, that is held in is that Bordentown? Yeah, I think it's Bordentown. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Bordentown. Um, it's been at the same location for about eleven years, I think. 
10 or 11 wow, that years. Long, really? I think so. Wow. I think it's been um, been there. Because um, we've been going since it started. Right. Because <clears throat> we had gone that one year to Wildwood. Right. And you want to talk about a Ren Fair on a beach? Wow. Great yeah. for pirate themed. Nothing <laughs> else, nothing though. Else. Yeah, that was probably the worst Renaissance version. Renaissance in the desert. <laughs> that was probably the worst version of the Ren Fair. Uh, so, yeah, last weekend happened to be their opening weekend. Obviously, last year they didn't. Uh, do anything for the Ren Fair. They did everything virtually. Let me run the video while you so, describe it. Sure. So we're going to run our little video. Um, so it was, you know, a little watered down. Wow. That's ironic. <laughs> do you like that pun? Uh, because it was very rainy. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, um, you had to buy your tickets in advance with a specific day. Unfortunately, we knew it was going to be a rainy day. We had no choice. But you don't normally have to do. Right. It was normally, of COVID right. So normally when you buy a ticket, it's usually good any day of that the fair is open. But because of limited capacity, COVID restrictions, trying to be safe, they limited the amount of people for each day, and of course you had to buy your tickets in advance. Um, at the start of the weekend, both Saturday and Sunday were already sold out. So it was one of those, you were taking a chance, uh, you know, so you're either really, really hot or you're really, really cold. Um, but it's actually held, the location is actually a summer day camp, uh, Liberty Lakes. Um, so it's a really nice area. A lot of the area, as you can see, uh, is, is actually paved for, you know, most of the walkways. Uh, there was a little bit of mud in some areas, but overall it wasn't too bad. Obviously, all of the vendors there had their tents, uh, so they were pretty well protected. Um, the food area, they had it... Um, it was a, a smaller um, offering because, again, they had less people there, but they had different musicians there. They, they still had different um, musical acts and comedy acts um, and other things going on, even though, you know, the weather wasn't the best right. for it. Um, you know, now, I could take the temperature and leave the rain. Yes. So going to a Renfrew, this is why I think Renfrews need to be running throughout, like, the, the fall. fall and the early part of the winter so that you can actually come out with all of your costume regalia and not roast while you're right because that's always the problem we run into <clears throat> is between you know all the different layers and the cloaks and the hats and the boots and right. all of that you can only wear it for so long you know <laughs> during during the heat so the weather was perfect if you wanted to be all, you know, bundled up for it. Right. Um, so we enjoyed ourselves. Yeah, we didn't stay as long as we normally would have. We didn't right. stay for any of the shows or anything like that. We kind of came, we walked the vendors, we ate. Right. It was just kind of to have the atmosphere it was, it was, of it. It was, you know, a get out of the house type mm -hmm. thing, you know, kind of like uh, the week before when we went to the uh, the horror, the Monster Mania Monster Mania. Mm -hmm. so. Right. And the other problem, too, was that while, you know, certain areas they had coverings for you, a lot of the areas where uh, some of the shows were going on, they didn't have right. anything uh, for you to, to cover. So a lot of people were walking around with umbrellas, but then all of the seats were all 
wet. So then you had to deal with having a wet butt if you were going to sit on the seats. But again, still a lot of people there. It was sold out. I'm sure there were probably people that didn't go because of the weather. Yeah, we made the most of it. I'm I'm glad that we we did go. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be right back with our Disney detective. Go for Disney Detective. So there's one thing Florida has plenty of, and that's swampy land. So the entire state is obviously heavily, you know, in a wetland habitat. And as any Disney guest can attest to, the humidity in the air as well. So because of the temperature climate, it can be tough to build in some areas of Florida. And one of the biggest problems someone can encounter when building anything in Florida are the many sinkholes that fill the state. Um, a foundation professional had actually noted sinkholes sinkholes can form anywhere in Florida, but the highest activity level occurs in West Central Florida because of the karst limestone environment. Uh, there are several influences that increase the risk of sinkhole activity, such as long-term weather conditions, uh, heavily acidic rains, and drought-like conditions. So if we take a look at Walter's New World, it seems impossible that an area that the, is the size of San Francisco doesn't have any sinkholes, which is actually true. So Walt Disney World actually has a massive sinkhole on property, and it's in the center of Epcot. <laughs> Uh, as uh, in this article, uh, they had um, referenced um, Monorail Supply Company's TikTok, where she talks about the um, the sinkhole in Epcot and that Epcot actually holds the deepest known sinkhole in Florida. So in the TikTok, uh, she explains that the sinkhole uh, caused major issues for Disney when Epcot was being built and while, you know, they were trying to build things, cars and trucks would get stuck in it. And to fix the problem, Disney decided to turn the sinkhole into a lagoon. So the sinkhole can be found in the water under the bridge, which is connecting Future World to World Showcase. What was interesting was that during a Q&A for Epcot's 30th anniversary, Imagineer Marty Skylar had actually discussed the sinkhole and he had said one of the reasons there's so much space between Future World and the World Showcase Lagoon is that we discovered a gigantic sinkhole near where the Odyssey restaurant is. He went on to say we couldn't build anything on top of it. So if, you know, chances are if there's a big giant body of water, you definitely don't want to get lost because... (laughs) You'll get, you know, in the big giant sinkhole. So kind of, kind of interesting, you know, to to think, you know, because th- that's one of the interesting things with Disney because there are so many um, water aspects that are man-made, right, and it's like, right. okay, so <laughs> is it man-made because of a big giant sinkhole, or was it, hey, we needed to put something here? Well, it makes me wonder how safe is the land around the sinkhole that they were able to build on it. Yeah, that's the thing, because you figure it's been 30-plus years right. now. Like that that you know that foundation has to wear out at some point in time because of all the liquid that you have anyway. Yeah, so I'm I'm guessing they probably go in and 
and test or or do whatever they they can you yeah, know this is going to convince it, me to stay away from Epcot now <laughs> or at least that side that, that don't area, right. don't walk on <laughs> by the Odyssey restaurant right, just right. walk yeah but yeah it kind of makes you like oh yeah why is there so much space over here and nothing was ever built there because it kind of seemed like a prime area to to do something well, it's so. kind of funny that it's it's coming out now you know 30 years later it makes me almost makes me wonder like was it was, a secret <laughs> right was it a secret are they doing something about it now is there a problem with it did do they inspect it and are mm. they going to be is yeah. part of what like because they're re, they're doing a big revamp of right. epcot like right. did they discover something during this revamp maybe or maybe it's like okay it's been so many years we have to go back in and right and so I'm, I'm, it, just, it seems coincidental that, yeah. that this information would come out now yeah. while they're doing the work. Yeah. So. I don't know. so tell us about the 50th anniversary. Yeah. So this article talks about how um, there's, you know, the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World is going to be uh, this October. Uh, obviously with everything that was going on last year, lots of different things were kind of put on hold, but what was kind of interesting and what this article talks about is how, um, you know, the tagline is beacon of magic, um, you know, and it's, uh, lighting we have been promised, you know, um, you know, for, for the event and the song choice is a whole new world, which was kind of, you know, they said kind of odd for this because, there's not a lot of stuff that's going to be new for the 50th anniversary. So you had the delay of Remy's Ratatouille adventure uh, that had actually opened in Disneyland Paris in 2014. So it wasn't even like it was brand new ride technology. It was basically a copy of a ride they already had. And that was supposed to open in 2020. So, okay, that got delayed. Um, Then Disney stalled and delayed and halted construction on uh, the Tron light cycle ride that again was supposed to be open for the 50th anniversary, as well as the guardians of the galaxy ride. Um, and also the article talks about that Disney actually hasn't hit an opening deadline in many years. So it's kind of like you kind of expect it. But the other thing too, is you can't be blaming the pandemic for this because Universal Orlando completed their new coaster during the pandemic. And it's as big of a coaster, you know, with zero audio animatronics, but very similar to the Tron ride. Um, and they have that open and that'll be opening, uh, this summer. So, you know, why? you know, or things being, you know, delayed so much. The other thing that it was talking about was that in the commercial, there's no nostalgia about the 50th anniversary. Um, the biggest thing that they kind of do is they kind of have like Easter eggs of 16 different hidden movie references in the commercial. And it's like, well, it's not the 50th anniversary of Disney movies. It's the anniversary of the theme park. Why not show some nostalgia about the park especially when you have people that are still alive that went to the park when it first opened um you know it's not such a long period of time where you you don't have those people that could add to it um the article also talks about how um you know for other um uh, uh different things when they did the 25th anniversary a lot of the um 
commercials tugged at your heartstrings more uh, about the magic of, of it all. And it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, 50th anniversary. Yeah. Well, it yeah. almost sounds like that the management was caught off guard. And that could totally you know, Like, oh, my be. God, you know, we didn't know if we were going to be open for this, so True. we didn't put the effort into it. Uh, Disney is under, you know, the, the head of the, of Disney is under new management. Right. So it could just be that style of management that they have. True. Um, Disney's not 100% back either. Right. So it might be that they didn't want to play it up because it's still a diminished experience. True. And True. they haven't, you know, reduced prices. Right. So there's a lot of factors, I think, that go into Right, right. None of them excuse it. Right. You know, this is usually... This is one of those things that Disney excels at, typically. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing is you can go back in, in Disney's history. You can just do a Google search, you know, or a YouTube search of, you know, Disney commercials. And, One nice know, thing, though, is they didn't uglify the castle yet. That's true. They so. made it prettier. <laughs> they they spruced it up. Usually and when they do these celebrations, they make the castle okay, look don't terrible. Stop. The 25th anniversary. Okay. It was ugly, but there are still a lot of people that, you know, it wasn't so bad for. Oh, okay. Big, giant Pepto-Bismol cake. But anyway. <laughs> but, you know, the good thing is it's still 120-something days away till October 1st. So maybe... Maybe they have time to do it right. You know, maybe this was kind of the teaser. Usually the celebrations well, the go on. the thing is it's possible they've got so many things going on right now that they just didn't plan properly. Right. And the other thing too is the celebration goes on for, for usually a year, a year and yeah. two months, you know. So even though the 50th anniversary will be October 1st, maybe by 2022 some of these other things will We'll still be in the virtual queue by then. Here's <laughs> <laughs> to open. Yeah. So, yeah, all right, you know. So, yeah. We'll, we'll see if they if they pull this one out and and actually do it right for the fans. Yeah, you know, I, I to me it doesn't matter one way or the other. I like I don't I'm not going down there for the celebration. If, we, if I'm going down there, it's because you're dragging me down, and you know I'm just sort of there for the ride. But mm -hmm. you know, diehard fans like you deserve to have a proper celebration for it. Mm -hmm. And there's tons of diehard Disney fans out there that deserve it. And when I say deserve it, I mean because you. Spend ridiculous amounts of money on the company that they need to pay you back somehow. Mm -hmm. So don't worry. For your 50th, we're going to make it a big one. Why? What are we doing? I don't know yet. I haven't figured that out. Well, well, well I, for your 40th, we did a big one, though. True. True. So, we did. Well, I got to top that for your 50th. Disneyland Paris. Yeah. Don't, don't set your hopes too high on that. So we'll see. But that was all we have for our Disney detective. We'll be right back with our tales from the edge of my insanity. For over seven years, the Second Sith Empire has been the premier community guild in the online game Star Wars The Old Republic. With hundreds of friendly, and helpful active members, a weekly schedule of nightly events, annual guild meet and greets, and an active community both on the web and on Discord. 
The Second Civ Empire is more than your typical gaming group. We're family. Join us on the Starforge server for nightly events such as operations, flashpoints, world boss hunts, Star Wars trivia, guild lottery, and much more. Visit us on the web today at www.thesecondsithempire.com. Go for Tales from the Edge of the Galaxy. <laughs> Not the edge of your insanity. <laughs> <laughs> so oftentimes when we hear about studio notes and memos for classic films, you know, such as Back to the Future or Blade Runner, um, you know, it's because the people that were involved with the production or release didn't think that the movie would actually be such a success um, or they believed in it. So, you know, obviously that's kind of the case for Star Wars. Uh, so some memos that actually were just kind of released to, to Twitter uh, just last week uh, from t 20th Century Fox had surfaced online. And what was kind of interesting was how positive they were about the movie. Um, so the author um, and documentarian, who I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name because I'll probably totally... You want to try? Charles de Lerzerica. Sure. He had posted the images, uh, which included some choice expert excerpts by 20th Century Fox VP of Domestic Distribution, Peter S. Myers, that said, uh, quote, Alan Ladd Jr. saw a rough uh, ensemblage without music, special effects or dubbing, and as conservative as he is, he just flipped, claiming that it is the best picture he has ever seen. They claim the picture has a look never seen on the screen before, and that it is so believable you feel like it is other than the present, even though the location and equipment are space in the year 2000. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. Uh, oh, sorry, 2000 plus. He goes, I'm saying this picture should be better, uh, should get a better treatment than The Godfather, King Kong, Jaws, The Poseidon Adventure, or Towering Inferno. So the memos were actually previously published, which now have been deleted on StarWars.com. Um, so George Lucas, obviously, we know is no longer hmm, <laughs> uh, linked with uh, the franchise uh, or with Lucasfilms because he obviously sold it to Disney in uh, 2012. Um, but, you know, what? kind of been nice is that he's still kind of been a little bit active and one of the things we saw was during the mandalorian he was there a couple of the days while filming and one of the things that john favreau has said is that he would be giving dave a hard time about how many setups he was getting and how fast he was shooting and arguing uh him to go faster uh he said he was like a boxer's cornerman coaching him but always with a twinkle in his eye so it's nice to see that he's still looking out for it but it was kind of interesting to to see that even back in 19, you know, the early 1970s before the movie came out, they thought it was going to be a hit. Well, and it's funny because they kept slashing the budget. 
Right. So it was going to be a hit from these early treatments that they saw and the fact that it was a 2000 plus, but we all know it's not. Right. Because it's in a gal, it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. away. Right. Um, but, you know, what they describe is really that unique feel mm-hmm. of Star Wars where it's. A lived-in universe. Mm-hmm. You don't. You didn't find that anywhere else. Everywhere right. else that you saw something that was space or futuristic or something like that, it was always this pristine, clean environment, and everyone was properly dressed. Mm-hmm. And, and but you didn't get that. What you got when you saw Star Wars was the old West in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was that, and mm-hmm. and that grittiness that. Rundown look, the Millennium Falcon, right? You know, looks like the a hunk flying of junk, hunk yeah. of junk, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but it makes it look realistic, right? Um, and that was something that Lucas at the time really tried to go for for the authenticity. Because you remember, prior to this, you had American Graffiti, mm-hmm. you had THX, which was a futuristic thing that was pristine. So he had kind of touched on some of these genres already as he started to pull all this stuff together. Well, not American Graffiti. That was set in, like, the 1950s. (laughs) No, I'm saying that's what... Right, right. That's what he was known for. Right, he hadn't done anything like this. Right, this was a new foray for him. Right, no, I get it. Um, So when he came into this, and it was such a unique look to it for a futuristic Mm -hmm. space opera... Right. You know, that opening scene alone, you know, just the ships flying overhead. Mm-hmm. You know, you get you get the, the Tantive Four flying overhead. And it's like, wow, that's cool. And then you get the Star Destroyer and it's flying over and it's flying and, and flying it's and flying going. and it's right. huge. Right. You know, it was that was the kind of presence, this, the crawl, mm-hmm. you know, the title crawl that comes oh, up where you don't get your regular credits. You know, it was so revolutionary at the time mm-hmm. that nobody had seen anything like it. Right. That score, my God, you couldn't come up with a better score mm-hmm. to, to start the pace of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, he was firing on all cylinders. And, and they didn't even see any of that stuff yet. Right, because none of that was in right. the, those you know, treatments. They got to see some of the shots of, you know, the, the cantina or Luke's house or, you know, the Millennium Fountain. Like, they saw just the raw footage right. and could get that feel. Everything else for, after that was just icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. So, very cool. Very mm-hmm. cool to see that that insider stuff sort of surface like that. So, there's a rumor. Yeah, so this, you know, was coming out. So, obviously, you know, George Lucas sold his space opera franchise to the Walt Disney Company, as I said, in 2012. Star Wars fans weren't sure exactly what was going to happen to their beloved characters, uh, like Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and They were just going to pointlessly kill them off. Well, unfortunately, yeah. So, obviously, Disney's Star Wars sequel trilogies proved to... Kind of not... Suck. (laughs) Okay, I wasn't going to say it. Um, Left moviegoers unhappy, (laughs) Um, you know, with the original core trio and the general lack of direction of the three films. So Lucas had publicly acknowledged that he expected to have more say in the Star Wars sequels, which were directed by J.J. Abrams, your best friend, Ryan Johnson, and then Abrams again... (laughs) And also in the development of the new characters like Ray, Finn, and Poe. 
So Lucas sounds like you just cursed me out in some <laughs> foreign language. Raven Poe. Raven Poe. That is kind of funny. That's <laughs> going to be like our new family curse or something. Uh, so Lucas has also shared that he had already began writing his own sequel trilogy in which Princess Leia would have emerged as the Chosen One and would have had Darth Maul's apprentice, Darth Talon, as the villain. So in recent years, rumors of Lucas's official return to the Star Wars universe has been swirling around online, and these obviously intensified after he was seen on the set of The Mandalorian with Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni. And and actually, according to IMDb, his name was included in the writing credits for um, the Rogue One prequel show Andor, which I didn't realize. So now it's kind of like, hmm, is he coming back? Is he going to try and take over some control from, you know, Kathleen Kennedy, which, of course... That's been a swirling rumor that's been going on for ages that they've been trying to oust her. So is it something where, you know, he's going to come back? Is he consulting or whatever? Obviously, this is all rumors. There's nothing that's been, um, you know, confirmed by the Disney c- company or Lucasfilms. Um, you know, obviously, um, one of the last things, uh, Bob Chepek had recently announced that Kennedy's tenure with Disney would continue for the foreseeable future. So, you know, she's not going anywhere anytime soon, but who's to say, you know, something else might not happen. You know, obviously we know that there are a bunch of different, you know, Star Wars shows that are in development. Obviously we talked last week that the one wasn't going to be going forward, the Rangers one. Um, But that, Patty Jenkins' Star Wars Rogue Squadron uh, is set for 2023, and that's supposed to be the next movie installment in the story. So, you know, obviously there's a whole bunch of other things going on. You have Ryan Johnson, who's supposed to be doing... Stop. Just don't even mention that. (laughs) Don't even mention that. That trilogy by that guy that you don't like, and then, of course, you know... I can feel the bile already backing up as soon as I hear his name. And then Taika Waititi is supposed to be scouting some locations. Uh, so, for... so this image here, unfortunately, I'm having trouble with with the the full screenshot. So okay. we'll have to kind of walk folks through it. Sure. But you have Kathleen Kennedy on the stage here, uh-huh. and there's a backdrop that has all of the various projects that she's introducing at this convention or this this right that was here. the investors day and you've got what one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen projects okay that's a problem right fourteen projects mm-hmm. one of which we know is not happening anymore right right that's a management problem is what that is mm. because at that point in time you're totally and of those but not all of them are Star Wars, though. Two of them aren't Star Wars. Three, three of them aren't Star Wars. Three aren't Star so, Wars. So of yeah. 14 projects, you have 11 Star Wars projects. Yeah. Can we say saturating the market? Right. And that's what we've talked about and, time and time again is that. It, but it's the problem is they tried it already with the movies and, right, and they got slapped down for it. Right. So why would they think that doing it through Disney Plus is any better? Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, too, is is it. 
Well, Rangers of the New Republic, that that was supposed to be live action. Yes. Okay, well that's dead. Um Bad Batch we know was is animated. Animated. Obi-Wan is live action. Andor, we Andor know is, is live action. Rogue Squadron was supposed to be live action. Okay. Well, The Mandalorian is a continuation, so that really Ahsoka doesn't... Ahsoka was live action. Okay. Lando was supposed to be live action. Okay. Droid Story, was that supposed to be... That, I can't imagine. I, I suspect That's probably, that was animated. Yeah. So, I don't know. I could see doing the, hey, we're making the kids stuff. We're making... It's Star Wars. I it's know. all kids stuff. It's always been about the kids. That's one thing George Lucas will tell right, you. Right, right. So this is the problem that I have with Kathleen Kennedy. Yes. She has this shotgun approach. Let's throw all the spaghetti at the wall and see mm-hmm. what sticks. Right. Oh, we've, we've got 50 pieces. We're throwing two pieces stick. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's let the rest fall by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And you can't do it like that. Not right. Star Wars because all the other stuff that doesn't work doesn't just like – fall by the wayside and get ignored, you're ruining the universe. Mm-hmm. There's a very well-crafted, well, it used to be well-crafted. <laughs> there was a very well-crafted universe that had some level of continuity. And when you keep throwing all these things out there just because you're looking for the next Mandalorian because you want another hit. Right. You know, And they don't even have uh, Book of Boba on here. Right. We know that's already confirmed and mm-hmm. in there. So that's one Maybe more. that took the place of, you know. So George Lucas had the right idea but pissed the fans off because mm. Lucas always left you wanting more. Right. We'll give you a little bit here. Wait three years for the next one. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's another one. Wait three years for the next one. Right. Uh, I'm kind of done right now. Wait 15 years for the next one. All right. That was agonizing. <laughs> True. You know, but we managed to get through it. Right. We did. Um, but this whole idea of, of throwing so many things out there right. at once is a problem. I welcome Lucas coming back in because you can see his influence on the Mandalorian already. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like Star Wars. It's a hit. Yes. Um, the only thing I ask is don't, for the love of God, don't let him write love scene dialogue. That is... <laughs> That is where he just falls flat on his face there. <laughs> Let him do anything else love, he wants. True love. Wait, oh. I cannot I cannot sit through another Padme Anakin love scene. It just it's like fingernails on a blackboard the way he writes those. So I don't know. Maybe now that he's remarried and everything, right, maybe, maybe he that's, can write love better. Right. Maybe that was the know. problem. He couldn't he wasn't in love better. Right. Then, so, so anyway. <laughs> We'll see. It, it would be interesting to get him back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he made a mistake selling it in the first place. I think Disney's doing everything they can to exploit it, and it shows. Right. So, mm-hmm. But had Disney not done it, you would have never had what you got down at the, at the parks now. Absolutely. Yeah. Galaxy's you know, Edge. You would have been stuck with Star Tours. Star Tours, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. With... Ryan Johnson, it's just, <laughs> it's more than three edges with Ryan Johnson and all of them are cut in at the same a, time. Do we need a curse jar for, <sighs> for that? I'm holding it back as best as I can. I but know. anytime his name is mentioned, I know it gets the blood pressure going. So <laughs> let me go get the cup for you. <laughs> so that's all we have for our tales from the edge of the galaxy. We'll be right back with our entertainment news.
Insights into Teens, a podcast series exploring the issues and challenges of today's youth. Talking to real teens about real teen problems. Explore issues from braces to puberty, social anxiety to financial responsibility. Each week, we talk about the topics concerning today's youth. We look at how the issues affect teens, how to cope with these issues, and how parents, friends, and loved ones can help teens handle these challenges. Check out our video episodes on youtube.com backslash insights into things. Catch our audio versions on podcast.insightsintoteens.com or on the web at insightsintothings.com. Go for entertainment news. <laughs> I didn't do it. So it seems that one of our favorite Star Wars slash vampires slash uh, directors. I don't know. What else is he? You know. Probably better stop calling him names. Probably. Uh, Taika Waititi is reportedly been reprimanded by Disney for some racy photos with Tessa Thompson, and it's there were a bunch of different articles, too, that talked about Tessa Thompson kind of getting reprimanded for her racy photos as well. So it seems that, you know, obviously we know Disney is famous for fiercely protecting protecting its family-friendly reputation, which is why the studio has often had no hesitation of letting go of key talent who cause an unwanted stir online. Really? Should we tick down the number of (laughs) former child stars that are the least bit family-friendly today? Right. But the thing is, most of them don't work for Disney anymore. (laughs) Disney grooms them to to go into what they do. So it seems that the Marvel director, Taika Waititi, recently became the talk of Twitter when some paparazzi photos depicting him in a romantic moment with both actress Tessa Thompson and singer Rita Ora went viral. Obviously, this is his private life, and he's just a victim of some unwanted attention from the press, but this revelation about what appears to be a polyamorous relationship between the three individuals has nonetheless ruffled some feathers at Disney HQ. So the Daily Telegraph of Australia is reporting that the studio has reprimanded him over the racy photos coming to light. Specifics of the telling off that the filmmaker received uh, from Disney have yet to be revealed. So it's unclear how much trouble he's actually in. However, the outlet does note that this is not exactly the image that the studio is looking to project uh, in relation to one of their biggest franchises. Uh, the other thing is that execs were always aware of his party animal reputation but they feel that this situation kind of crossed the line. Um, the photos were actually taken outside of his home in Australia where they're filming, where actually I think they just finished wrapping uh, Thor Love and Thunder. Um, and, you know, it seemed so obviously Tessa 
you know, is reprising her role of Valkyrie. And it seems that Aura um, is either believed to be involved with some production or a brief cameo in the movie. And that's why she was there as well. So obviously we know he is one of the most popular directors around at the moment in terms of both public appreciation and industry acclaim. So something tells us, you know, that Disney wants to kind of keep him on board despite any problems with that they might have with his private relationships being exposed like this but as always we just kind of need to wait and see what happens so again this kind of goes back to the stuff that we talked about with with gina carano where there's there's morality clauses and Mm -hmm. stuff like that when you work for a company like disney right i don't know if this type of thing would really be covered under that yeah it's it's kind of you know and the other thing too is how much of it was, you know, did they know, oh, we're being recorded, let's kiss. Like, right. that's all they did. Right. That's literally all they did. That's all you can see in the photos. Who's to say it wasn't just a friendly peck where right. they made it out to be something else? Because in the one article that talked about, that was mainly focused around uh, Tessa Thompson was talking about how just earlier that day she was supposedly kissing her boyfriend or this guy that maybe she's seeing who happened to be on the set. Sure. And then later on the day, he or she's with the other two and now there's photos of them all kissing. So, right. And that's the thing. Like a photo can very easily be taken out of context. Absolutely. You know, when you had the history of tweets that Gina Carano had, there's a pattern. Right. That's a completely different thing. And you're deliberately trying to put your point of view out publicly at that point in time. You're using your notoriety to do it. I don't know under what context these pictures were taken. Was he posing? Did he know they were taking pictures? Was it on purpose? Did they know? Or was it something where, all right, there's paparazzi out there. Ha ha, let's be, you know, let's be cute. Right. And he's always goofing off and joking around, stuff like that. So I would have chalked it up more to that than Mm -hmm. anything else. Right. And I'm not trying to make excuses for it. Oh, absolutely. If he violated his morality contract and they have a reason to reprimand him, by all means, go ahead and do it mm-hmm. if he's not performing the way that you want. Right. I just don't know if this is one of those things that you can cover on the morality. Right. Even if you did, you got rid of you. Well, I don't want to say got rid of, but you terminated your contract with one person for expressing hatred views. Right. Now you're going to reprimand somebody for expressing love. <laughs> right. Exactly. What? Like. <laughs> like where- Okay. What's the logic behind right, that? Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It's, it's. I if anything, it, good for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think, I think you're blowing things out of, they're blowing it mm-hmm. out of Oh, absolutely. I, I totally agree. So, and, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to take heat for, for being one-sided on this, but it's Taika Waititi, you know, he's awesome. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is, you know, he's a party guy. Yeah. You can tell that. You know, from, you know, from seeing things that he's done. But right now between, you know, Thor Ragnarok and, you know, what he did on The Mandalorian, yeah, you have yeah. him, uh, you know, working on finishing up, you know, the new Thor, a, a Star the most, Wars. The most important thing about Taika Waititi is he's not Ryan Johnson. <laughs> See? 
He gets a pass for just about everything just for <laughs> he that. He can do whatever he wants. Just for that. Right. Yeah. So what's our uh, our next uh, uh, article? Yeah. So this was kind of some sad news. So uh, actor Gavin McLeod uh, of The Love Bow and Mary Tyler Moore had passed away at age 90. Um, he was known for his roles on The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Love Boat. Uh, and he actually passed away on Saturday. Uh, his nephew um, had reported to Variety. Um, his birth name was actually Alan C. Um, but in his memoir, the Cap- Your Captain is Speaking, uh, he wrote that he considered changing his name um, because it was too confusing and actually changed it to honor an acting teacher. Uh, he also wrote that he had to deal with premature hair loss going bald in college. After a busy career of bit parts in television and film, uh, he first achieved fame as part of the ensemble of The Mary Tyler Moore Show, uh, a breakthrough sitcom <coughs> Excuse me, in which he played news writer Murray Slaughter. Murray w- often served as a confidant to Moore's character, rolling his eyes at the clueless anchor Ted Baxter and absorbed the fierce temper of the news director Lou Grant. Uh, on Twitter, actor Ed Asner, who played Grant, wrote, My heart is broken. Gavin was my brother, my partner in crime and food, and my comic conspirator. Uh, Asner noted that McLeod's death leaves him and Betty White as the only two living principal cast members of the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Following the end of that program in 1977, he moved uh, into a starring role on the love boat um, <laughs> which if you don't know what the love boat is then i i don't know who you are you're anymore dead to me. <laughs> you're dead to me um he got top billing as your captain uh the dedicated and friendly uh Merrill Steubing. uh the boat pulled into port for its last time after 9 seasons but he continued to embrace his character making public appearances in costume uh, he also actually served as ambassador for Princess uh, Cruises, the company that provided the ships that were used in the series. Um, Princess Cruise Line actually had said, all of us send our ha- heartfelt condolences to his entire family and offer our sincerest gratitude to them for sharing Gavin with all of us for so many years. Um, after Love Boat, he became an evangelical Christian and he credited his faith with allowing him to end his abuse of alcohol and reconciled with his wife, Patty, whom he remarried in 1985. The cause of death had not been released as of Saturday. You know, I he used to do bit parts on Hogan's Heroes. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of Hogan's yep. Heroes. And that was where my initial exposure to him uh, came from. Mm-hmm. But everyone remembers him from Love Boat. Yeah. You know, that was really the role that he made his own where mm-hmm. he got the lead there. Yeah. And it gave great references when Next Generation came out and they had a bald captain of the Enterprise that was referred right. to as Captain Steubing. So, right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was a great actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a shame. But 90 years old, great not, career. Not too shabby. Uh, that That's certainly something to be, to be proud of. Mm-hmm. So he he left his mark on the world, and you can catch reruns of you know Love Boat on MeTV. You know, I'm sure there's other uh, channels as well that that are absolutely you know, showing it as well. Absolutely. So we'll be right back with our insightful picks of the week. Oh. 
go for your insightful pick. So my insightful pick this week is the Kaminsky method. It's uh, uh, the premise of the show is acting coach Sandy Kaminsky and his best friend Norman Newlander keep each other laughing as they navigate the ups and downs of getting older. He may be in his twilight years, but the aging acting coach isn't ready to ride off into the sunset just yet. The once famous Kaminsky and his longtime agent and best friend Norman Newlander keep each other laughing as they tackle the curveballs that life has thrown at them while navigating their later years in Los Angeles, a city that values youth and beauty. The Netflix original sitcom has a strong Hollywood pedigree. Uh, it was created by multiple Emmy winner Chuck Lorre and stars uh, Oscar winners Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin as Kaminsky and Newlander. Um, so it's a American comma dramedy. It's streaming on Netflix. Um, there's actually three seasons uh, currently. Uh, the first season actually premiered in 2018. Um, then in January of 2019, it was announced that it was going to be renewed for a second season which premiered in October of that year and then last July it was renewed for a third and final season which just premiered uh at the end of May I am currently I think I just started season two um and it's kind of a quirky funny um you know, show with these two, you know, main characters going back and forth. Um, the, you know, his, his best friend, his agent, his wife passes away, um, in like the first or second episode. And he kind of still sees her and still talks to her. And, and she's kind of still, um, you know, a, a main character, I guess, in, in some respects. Uh, and you kind of, you know, go through the the back and forth of, you know, their friendship as they're, you know, getting on in age. So, um, you know, has some funny moments, has some touching parts, uh, you know, uh, as well. And, you know, and again, you know, Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. So can't cool. go wrong. Good pick. Thank you. So my pick this week is WWE's Most Wanted Treasures, airing Sundays on A&E. WWE's Most Wanted Treasures takes viewers on a journey to find some of the WWE's most iconic lost memorabilia. Uh, WWE's Stephanie McMahon and Paul Triple H Levesque lead a team of collectors, WWE superstars, and legends as they navigate, negotiate, bid, and travel across the country to hunt down and reclaim some of the most elusive WWE collectibles. Throughout history, WWE's action-packed storylines has spawned iconic, one-of-a-kind memorabilia, most of which have gone missing. Superstar in training AJ Francis will head out on the road alongside some of the most famous WWE legends of all time, including The Undertaker, Ric Flair, Charlotte Flair, Mick Foley, Kane, Big Show, Mark Henry, Jerry the King Lawler, Booker T, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Jake the Snake Roberts, and Sergeant Slaughter. The series will unearth these rare items in the hopes of preserving and sharing the legacy behind the memorable moments in WWE history. Uh, I was a total wrestling geek uh, as a kid, and before Hulkamania, 
and the soap opera storylines that have developed since then. I knew wrestling as the WWF. Back then, it wasn't mm-hmm. the World Wildlife Foundation. It was the World <laughs> Wrestling Federation. Right, right. Uh, I used to go over to my grandparents' house and watch it with my granddad, who was convinced it was 100% real, mm. and you couldn't tell him otherwise. Uh, the show brings back some of that nostalgia for me. It's less about the items, although some of the items they find are kind of cool. Um, but it's more about the stories that are conveyed by the wrestling legends recruited to hunt down the merchandise. So they do kind of interview segments as they're looking for things and trying to find um, contacts and stuff like that. And there are times where they go to find it at a collector's house. Sometimes they'll pay a, a nominal fee for it. Sometimes it's given to them. Sometimes it's just a favor. Like there was one instance where uh, one wrestling fan was a huge Mick Foley fan. Mm-hmm. And the guy's you know whole thing was, okay, well, uh, if I can bring my kids over and have the kids just sit down and talk to you for an hour, you can have it. Uh, one was with Jerry the King Lawler. Where the one fan, one he Jerry the King Lawler is actually a very talented artist, mm-hmm. and he's famous for doing these doodles and and pictures and stuff. And that one of the deal was they would get a certain amount of cash for it, but Jerry would actually do a custom art piece of artwork for him too. Uh, so it's kind of neat seeing that and seeing some of the other talents, seeing where some of these uh, wrestlers are from from years ago. Um, so if you've ever been a fan of professional wrestling, the show's worth a watch. Uh, there's a lot of history behind it. So, uh, WWE's most wanted treasures airing Sundays on A and E. We'll be right back. So I think that's it for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about today. We even got the video in for the Ren Fair. Wow, look at us. All before the storm. Yeah, that's two (laughs) weeks in a row we had something. I don't think we've got anything planned for next week. Maybe we'll just make up something. We'll just, sure. We're going to some sci fi fest next week. Maybe we'll just go outside and take videos of lightning bugs or something. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, uh, before we go, I do want to remind folks to uh, subscribe to the podcast. You can get audio versions of it listed as Insights into Entertainment. Video versions of all of our podcasts are listed as Insights into Things. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, etc. We also invite you to give us some feedback. Reach out to us via email at commentsandinsightsintothings.com. That's your line. Oh, we're also on Twitter at Insights underscore things. <laughs> Threw me off. I don't know why. <laughs> we're on. We do this every week. You I should know. know by now. I, you would think. We're on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Insights into Things. We are on the gram of Insta or Instagram at Instagram.com backslash Insights into Things. You can get audio versions on the web at podcast.insightsintoentertainment.com. You can find video versions of all of our podcasts at YouTube.com backslash Insights into Things. We stream six days a week on Twitch at twitch.com slash Insights into Things. If you are an Amazon Prime subscriber, you get a free Twitch Prime monthly subscription. We'd appreciate it if you threw that our way. And finally, if you don't remember any of that information and just want to head to our main website, that is www.insightsintothings.com. That's it. Another one in the books. Have a good week, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.